0: What's happening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Wrapping with Reef Bum. I'm your host, Keith Berkelhammer. So today, I welcome hobbyist Luca Martino, known as Mahina Corals on Instagram. What's happening, Luca? How's it going, Keith? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. So Luca has been a reef tank hobbyist. You got me beat, man, for 36 years. You must have started quite young, quite, quite young. He um, he is obsessed with pushing the understanding of the hobby, and he likes to assess certain assumptions in the hobby. His background is chemical engineering, and in his professional life he builds, starts up, and runs pharma and food manufacturing facilities. But before we start chatting with Luca, I want to thank the sponsors of the show, both Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine. I really appreciate the support of these companies and I appreciate the support of you folks tuning in. I see there's a whole bunch finding the stream right now. Please don't forget to spread the word and hit that like button so more people can find find the stream. As always, encourage comments and questions in the chat. So Luca, man, thanks for uh, taking some time out tonight to, uh, to join me. How are you doing? What's, what's going on there?
1: I'm uh, doing well, you know, enjoying summer, Keith, and um, pretty excited to be on your uh, live stream. Um, so yeah, just uh, looking forward to the conversation, and I, I w- would like you to start saying smash that like button. I love when you used to say that, smash that like button.
0: All right, let's smash that like button, folks. We got, yeah. we got almost 50 people watching right now, only 18 likes, so smash it, smash it.
1: Smash it up, guys. Share it on Instagram. Get people in. Here. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. So, man, we got uh, we got a lot to talk about. You're um you're pretty uh, vocal about certain topics on uh, on reef keeping, and so we're gonna kind of dig into a lot of that stuff. And um, but I don't know. Let's let's get a little bit of background on you, Luca, in terms of your uh, your reef keep- keeping journey. I mentioned you've been in the hobby for 36 years. How did it all start for you? At, at what age?
1: Yeah. So I've been keeping aquariums, um, since I think five and a half years old. Um, I convinced my parents for my sixth birthday to fast forward it six months. Cause I, I just wanted an aquarium so bad and I couldn't get paid yet. Um, mm-hmm. and at 11, I started working so I could buy aquarium stuff and also boom boxes and CDs, <laughs> but I've been keeping everything. And then, so naturally um, when I was getting ready to start working in like a actual place where you got paid like real money, not cash on the side, yeah. um, I worked for this uh, pet store, Pets and Things. And if you're in Southern Wisconsin, Northern Illinois, I- Indiana, Iowa, this uh, Gary Greenwood, who owned it, was was known locally, and he had amazing high end freshwater. So he already had an RO system back in like you know '90, whatever. He also had reef and, uh, he hired me and I like was deathly scared of rats and stuff. So I quickly learned a lot about the fish stuff and he started letting me run the, run the fish room. And I started doing, um, all the maintenance on the saltwater and freshwater tanks. And even there, when I was there, I was talking about this crazy thing called the protein skimmer and, um, getting a real calibrated um i think they're called hy- hygrometer versus the uh the little swing arm thing yeah. so that's how it started Keith and it's always been a passion of mine when my son was born um i built a small 29 gallon reef tank with him and that evolved into this current 1000 gallon system so here we are
0: yeah so 1000 gallons how many different tanks what sizes and all that sort of thing you've got some uh, you got one a couple of tanks in in your uh, behind you right there or next to you and behind yeah, you.
1: but here's my um, coraline algae covered pounds. Yeah, dude, you gotta clean. You gotta
0: clean the glass, there, dude. I know.
1: <laughs> Especially I know. on the on the live stream,
0: Luca. You gotta you know you gotta like break out the old scraper for the live stream at least. I know.
1: You got me. You got me. This is uh, this tank I actually built myself in, in entirety. The acrylic and everything. Oh wow. That's uh, six footer, and then in the back fish room um i have three uh you're not you're not you're bike. not
0: mobile can you like give us a little tour or are you, you tethered i can do it all right let's see what happens all right peter t thank you so Go much for that rope. super chat luca where's the uh jbo shirt at
1: <laughs> no jbo shirt for me all right we're gonna... although i do use them for calc slurry. all right so
0: I'm sorry, in man. The, I kind of I kind of took you off, I, I kinda caught you off guard, right? We didn't talk about this before the show, but you sent me some videos that uh, were portraits, so we couldn't use those, so might as well uh, add a lip here, right? Yeah.
1: All right, so I'm going to get you at there again. This is my 65-gallon that's covered in coralline algae. It literally is jam-packed, you can't see in there, with SPS. Uh, that's my first tank that I started doing with metal halides, and, and uh, that's when I got addicted to reefing. I'm sure one day the, the silicone is going to split on it because it's ancient. This is my four foot by two foot refugium. I harvest about 10 gallons of Kato a week. Um, I just use old T5 bulbs and I use a couple of my uh, LED light bars. Um, you can see all my T5 bulbs right there.
0: Oh, so what are, what are those? Was that a cache of T5 bulbs you got there?
1: Yes, sir. I. I, I until i die i'll probably have some form of t5 on something in my aquariums to make me feel okay with my life um you can see my electrical is up here all my energy bars i routed it through some highways that go to the tank your
0: your wiring looks Um, like my wiring it's not pretty
1: it's 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 marginal we got a tester down there and some some stuff like that but then here's our I got my two frag tanks right here that are on opposite photo periods right now. So they're sleeping. This is my LPS and I stole this from Jake Adams, the Chalice Palace. I think I have, I think I have four to five square foot of chalice growing in that, in that tank right now. This is my, uh, basic SPS tank. And then this is my, um, sump and then my high end SPS tank right there. And then you can see the, uh, the red and white pharmaceutical uh, bucket, that is my Kelp Flurry machine. And then I do believe in big water changes, so I have a 180-gallon system that I can change. I have a reflow dart on there. I can change uh, 180 gallons in uh, 20 minutes. So what, like what, what, what is
0: that what you typically do, 180 gallons on a 1,000-gallon system every week, two weeks?
1: I actually try to do every uh, 10 days is my goal. Got gotcha. you and that's that's it for now um i kind of forgot to tell you this but i'm i am building um a house and i'm going to have a 450 square foot uh fish room that i'm going to put into six foot by 12 foot uh, throw flats and that's where i want to take my system is is really big and um, i'm going to be obsessing about flow and the lack of detritus so, um, so let's let's talk yeah, about let's talk
0: man. about that luca because behind you you've got this uh PBC array that's um i guess uh, similar design in terms of what uh top shelf aquatics has right in in terms of the uh the array and and uh it's a great idea how have you uh, how long have you been using that array
1: so these corals have been in here for about three months i believe and um it was a one-day setup system, so it was, it was holding water, and then I said a prayer, and I put it online to the system, because um, I built the tank, and I'm like, I think I did it right. I hope it doesn't blow up, um, and the biggest thing I noticed is I, I, I never had hair algae. I have this little bit of a green kind of turf algae that grows on uh-huh. it, but um, the corals from day one settled in. Uh, I lost one out of the 50 I put in there. Um, and from there, it's been, it's been really easy. Um, and I have them on a lot. I call them lollipops. So my coral is, uh, I, t- I made concrete bases. I put the coral on top with epoxy. And then that friction fits into the PVC thing. So if I see a coral that's looking weird, I'll go and dip it with clean or iodine. Um, you get it dipped, put it back in the tank, You're good to go. So I do like the ability to kind of take them out. And, you know, you always fantasize if I could just get to that colony and get it out. I do this and that, but it's too much work or enough time. I can just pull it out, dip it. So um, I've been doing some, I've been farting around a lot with uh, iodine and chemiclean, inducing some die off in SPS and then seeing if I can stop it. So that's why I got to the lollipop, because if I'm going to have these huge grow flats, um, I need to quickly be able to save my mother colonies if something should happen, and I'm really trying to figure out what's the best way to do that at the, at the so, moment so
0: um yeah, and I want to ask you a couple of questions about that. hey, what's up there Chris from aCI aquaculture yeah chris i, I wasn't really I, really I wasn't understanding your comments, but uh yeah, putting on your glasses certainly makes a lot more sense now uh now I think you're uh, you're lucid in your thoughts there um What's happening, fellas? Hard to put my... Yeah, okay. Um, so, all right, man. Um, talk to us about the iodine and the uh, the chemi-clean. So you're using those two as um, dips to treat individual cor- corals. You're not doing any, um, you know, uh, total tank types of treatments with that stuff because I know Jake Adams, we were talking to him about uh, chemi-clean and... and um, you know, my understanding is that he was treating, you know, a, an entire system with that. I know Meckley um, has done that as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, what's the theory behind, uh, you're, you're assuming that there's some sort of bacterial issue with these individual corals and that's what you're doing in terms of dipping them?
1: So uh, actually listening to Chris, I'm a big fan of Chris. Hello, Chris. Um, and a couple others, they were talking about uh, prophylactically using clean. So I do do that every six months for my system. I believe in it. Um, I think it does good things. Uh, I can't quantify that. Um, however, you know, I know that there's people out there pushing the boundaries on, hey, I got these antibiotics and this and that and the other, and I'm going to start trying these dips. Um, I don't have access to some of that stuff. And so I just uh, started experimenting. I mean, like, hey, why can't I use stuff I already have, iodine? And I want to be clear, guys. You don't combine the two together, so it's not iodine and chemi-clean. That's not what I'm talking about. But I found that iodine, taking these lollipops off, swishing around the iodine for 15 minutes, putting it back in, four days later, swish it around in um, chemi-clean, and I I do a, a concentration. I think it's one scoop per gallon, those little scoops that they come with it, one scoop per gallon, swish it in there, and you're freezing some of the death. And I'm not on the same page as like Kung Fu corals or others that are really cutting edge. But, you know, Keith, I'm finding that I can stop the recession in, I induce RTN in some of my frags that I have multiple colonies of through, let's put in a cold tank or let's do something bad with it, you know, a little bit, induce it. I can stop it, even though I'll have a control frag, that one will keep dying. This one will finally stop and stabilize. And I actually have one um in here it's not readily available but i i I actually did it on purpose and i left it in there and it's re-encrusting now down the base
0: so you're you're seeing some random uh, rtn or stn types of events and that's what's um kind of motivated you to do this uh kind of regime that you got going on
1: yeah i'm I'm actually kind of i'm just going to take out coral i'm going to put my frag plug and then i'm going to put them in a tank that has alkalinity of six or something or a high temperature. I'm very interested in high temperature. So you're, like, uh, you're experimenting. And you're
0: trying to induce a reaction.
1: Yeah. Yes. And then I'm trying to save them. I'm trying to stop the death and prevent the whole colony. Because if I can figure this out, when you have a huge colony this big or something, you know, that you've had for four years, I, I would hate to see that die.
0: Have you um, utilized the, uh, the aqua biomics at all in terms of doing the bacteria testing?
1: So I you smile um, when
0: I ask that question,
1: because <laughs> I love it because you talk about it. And, uh, you know, I my previous job, we were growing probiotics and um, the science is real. OK, so like I totally respect what they're doing and I want to start doing that, Keith. It's just on the checklist of like nine million things I want to do. Uh, I was actually planning on trying to get it done this summer. However, the build of the house is progressing faster, so I'm working on designing the fiberglass troughs, so I've been distracted. But I do believe in it, and I would like to start actually talking to them directly and ask them, how are they doing these things? Because that's my language. I would like to understand better. Um, However, they're pioneers, and I want to support them. So at the same time, I want to start getting it tested.
0: Yeah, I'm going to have Eli back on um, the live stream, I think, in uh, August. And, and, um, I'm utilizing them for, um, for one of my, um, uh, systems where, yeah. um, you know, the, when I did my whole, uh, 187 gallon, uh, tank reboot, which, uh, has been completed by the way. And, uh, I'll have to put another, uh, video out on that in terms of the finished product. But, um, yeah, what I'm doing with that, and I don't know what it's going to show. Um, but what I'm, what I'm trying to prove with the, uh, with the data is to show that I cooked the dry rock long enough to the point where I had a good enough bacteria population to um, classify it as live rock, and that um, overall in the system that I did not really lose any bacteria in the change, because I basically pulled out 127 pounds of Haitian live rock, ripped it all out, put it in a cryptic sump, which I think is something that you're uh, talking about doing, and um, put in this um, cooked... Caribbean Sea life rock. So I'm, I, I'm doing three different aqua biomic tests. I'm doing a pre-test right before I did the, uh, the teardown. Yep. Then I'm actually doing a test on the hundred gallon Rubbermaid tub to, uh, to see what kind nice. of bacteria I had in that, that, uh, that, uh, you know, tub. And then, um, I'm doing a post. So, um, I, I should be getting the, uh, the test pretty, pretty soon, hopefully this week um maybe beginning of next week and i'll do another post test to kind of see soon after the change how things um you know uh look on the bacteria front so I'm, I'm pretty interested to see that
1: now which which one of your systems has the insane growth is that the the new tank with oh. uh, the led lights right
0: <laughs> yeah you know it's um i'm getting really good growth in both both systems so the uh the LED lit tank with the uh the GHL uh, Mitra's is um is definitely I've got I got some crazy good growth. You know, my pH in that um system is um 83 to 84, 85. So it's <laughs> it's pretty elevated in my other system, the one that I was just talking about, the 187 gallon um tank that I just rebooted with with the two frag tanks plumbed into it. I'm getting like um I actually had to make some changes today. I'm I'm getting the last few weeks really high elevated pH and it's kind of scaring me and my, my pH is like the low is 8.5, the high is 8.7. So um, I just put in some conditions, you know, today on my dosers to say yeah. stop dosing Kalkwasser at 8.4 because I don't like living on the edge like that. But you know, listen, all the animals in that tank, the corals are doing fantastic, growing like crazy. But, um, you know, I think I asked this question of um, Chris Wood from Captive uh, 8 aqu- uh, Aquaculture when I had him on. I was like, you know, what what pH would you be alarmed about in terms of a high? And he's like, you know, it just depends on how your corals are looking. You know, if if, you got, that, if you're got 8.6 or 8.7 and they're looking good, then I wouldn't be worried. But, you know, I don't think there was like a set answer for that. But 8.8 eight would certainly worry me.
1: You know, and... Um, eight, three is like, kind of like some ideals that some people have, uh, because it's more closer to ocean water, maybe before humans, you know, started changing the, uh, global CO2 concentration. Um, you know, I'm right now with my cal- So calcillary is a double-edged sword. You have to keep the pH high enough that the CO2 intrusion rate into your water is sufficient enough to give you the alkalinity you need. So if you keep it at 8.2 my elk would be like at 5.5, five. but I'm at 8.45 now, and my elk's at a perfect 8.3. So I'm actually discussing uh, with my builder on how to control my CO2 levels in my fish room because I have an HRV and I have a dedicated HVAC and it's sealed. I'm actually going to be tuning my alk via my CO2 levels, I believe. That's where I'm kind of trending on that. Um, I have gone as high as 8.5 continuously. I just peg it at 8.5. So it's exactly 8.5 all the time. And I got real um, weird and spindly growth on my acros. I mean, I was literally growing Keith, like my Yagi Yagi tort was an inch and a half a month.
0: Yeah, that's crazy.
1: It was a weird growth. But someone else's tank at 8.5 might look perfectly normal because they have different lighting, different nutrients, different flow, different traces, whatever it is. So I'm with you. I try to keep it uh right now I keep it minimum eight four eight point four two and I cut off my calc dosing at eight point four nine is where it goes and it'll go up to about eight point five two and it'll come back down.
0: Uh you're uh you're a GHL user, right? You're using the Proflux and and um to use the um, in terms of controlling your, uh, your calc your or additions and you're only doing the calc slurry?
1: So um uh, my GHL doser uh, it took a saltwater bath about two years ago. Yeah. And so I have a, a how do you say it? Comer Kamer? K- oh Kamor.
0: Comor. Uh, Comor. Yeah.
1: So like I have a Camor that Parasalty dosing pump. Yep. And I can set the flow rate. So I got it set to fifteen mils per minute. It goes to my nep uh, my apex, which controls off of the pH. But have you ever used an Alcatronic? No. Okay, so Alcatronic, you know, GHL is a really good unit too. Alcatronic gives you a controllable outlet that, so not only do I have a limit on pH, if for some reason my calculator were to go wild, if I, my ALK test goes above nine, it cuts power to the unit on top of that. So I have a double fail safe. I have, I have my pH probe control where I, I have limits. And I have all my programming in my a- uh, apex um, to do my dosing. I do, a, I do a, a ceiling, a bottom and a top. And at the bottom, it'll turn on indefinitely until it raises the pH. And at the top, it'll turn off completely. And in between, I have an oscillating function in my apex every 15 minutes. It's running for three minutes, I believe, is how it goes.
0: You know, you're, um, you're, you're definitely more... Um automated than i am or at least letting the uh, the controllers do more of that uh that that work than I than mm-hmm. i do i mean um yeah i i really had no control in terms of uh i, I didn't let any of the controllers oh. do any of the controlling i was doing all the controlling so it's just like i was saying today i actually just put in some upper limits on the ph because i feel like that's a safe Thing yep. for me to do, you know, and I'm, there's not, it's not too risky. Do you, do you worry, like, you know, um, you know, if that pH probe just kind of wigs out on you or do you have some fail-safes mm-hmm. in, in place for, for that in, ter- in terms of, like, if you do get the bad data on, on the pH readings or on terms of the alkalinity from the Alcatronic? Yep.
1: So um, a couple things. Uh, I, like you said, I'm a chemical engineer, so my living has been based on knowing automation, will fail. And my specialty is how do I design the best systems at work so that if automation fails, I don't lose a batch of probiotics or I don't start a fire or whatever. So I always design all my systems assuming failure. And so Keith, when I walk in, I didn't show it to you. It's, it's, I'm not going to show you a, a Milwaukee PH readout. However, I have, when I go into my fish room at the end of the day after work, I pull it up, and it has a pH on it. And right next to my apex, I have a Milwaukee pH unit, and I calibrate both of them with NIST-certified 4, 7, and 10 um, standards. And so, number one, I use double-junction pH probes. I believe they're the best.
0: Explain to us what, I, explain what a double-junction pH probe is. I don't know myself.
1: So, okay, so um, a single-junction pH probe if I understand this correctly, is a higher rate of failure and it can drift more. When you have the double junction, the one junction somehow checks the other junction. And please, guys, don't quote me on this because, again, I'm not a scientist. I'm more of an engineer. And I know in my own uh, facilities, double junction have much longer lifetime. They're more reliable. They're resistant to shock, et cetera. And they're normally about twice as much as a cheap one, which is a single junction. I do know that they hold the calibration better, um, and you can check the health of your pH probes by checking the slope and all these things, and I'll bring my pH probes into work once in a while, and I'll have my lab just check them out to make sure the slope's still good and it can hold the calibration in the lab, too. So, pH is number one. Number two... How
0: uh, Just a quick question for you. How, op- okay. how often do you calibrate your pH probes?
1: Um, I am... I'm right around a month, even though I know it's overkill, um, because I know things are inherently going to fail. That's anything mechanical is going to fail. It makes me feel better to calibrate my pH probes, calibrate your temperature probe. And that's really easy. You put ice cubes in a cup of water, because when you have ice cubes with water, when it comes to equilibrium, it'll be at 32 degrees Fahrenheit. And so you can you can do that. And then if you have a certain type of pH probe, not a Neptune one, you can calibrate at boiling water too, if you'd like. Hmm. So now you have two, you have two points and you can calibrate. Um, but I do have, again, because I'm weird, I have a NIST calibre, uh, calibrated uh, grade pH probe that I do do the ice water and the boiling points. And so I know that thing is dead on. And then I will use that to check my, my Neptune because what I can do my Neptune they have a really basic calibration method. Let's say you have a calibrated temperature probe. It says 77.1. And this is reading 77.8. You can go in there and say, no, buddy, this is 77.1. It. And it just drops down and it, it's, it's close enough. So I do check my salinity, temperature, and pH multiple ways. And I do check them with NIST certified uh, instruments. So There's some people that say, Hey, get a bunch and check them. I don't believe in that. I get one that is NIST grade certified. You know, you can use it in industrial use and I calibrate it and I use that. And that's my Holy grail. I don't look at aquarium, uh, aquarium uh, hobby level instrumentation as anything I would dare to use as my baseline. I will go buy those from Fisher scientific Cole Palmer, and yeah, a, a good temperature probe is a hundred bucks and the temperature calibration normally holds for 10 years. But if you do the boiling water and the ice water, temperature probes are linear. So if it's good here and here, most 99% of the time, it's going to be good throughout the range.
0: Yeah. You know, I never calibrate my temperature probes. And all the years I've been keeping reef tanks, I never, ever, and, and temperature is important, right? I mean, temperature is a very important parameter. So, uh, but I do have, um, multiple temperature probes on my systems. So I, it is kind of like, you know, I, I, my temperatures, I I know what my temperatures are because, um, you know, seasonally and, and, uh, you know, in the summertime, my temperature will, um, you know, maybe get up to 82 on the halide, uh, lit tank and 80 on the LED, uh, lit tank. So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, um, what's, what, what, what typically do you keep your temperatures at in your systems?
1: I'd like to make one comment. I believe you have GHL temperature. Yeah. So if I were to say what I would trust the most, um, and I'm not sponsored by GHL or anything, um, they're, they're built to a different standard. So if I was going to be believe in one aquarium grade, it would be the GHL. And actually I'm thinking about switching a lot of my stuff over to GHL because I really do have a high level of respect for their, their quality and their quality control, which is important. Um, right now, I keep it at um, 79 as a baseline, and I let it climb um, about up to 82 because I do have I'm a halide guy. There's some halides right there. Yeah, watt, baby. 10,000K, Ushio, baby. <laughs> um, um, I do let it climb up to that. Um, at the new house, uh, I've been reading a lot of interesting, very, very interesting um, literature tidbits fragments i wouldn't call them scientific studies you hear this or you hear that or you read this or that that above 80 so bacteria have certain temperatures they like to grow in you have all these ecosystems interacting and there's there's some there's a possibility that keeping it above 80 82 might be an optimum rate for growth metabolic health and maybe even driving some of these less desirable bacteria out. Since the science on our bacteria in our reef tanks is so infantile, I take it with a grain of salt. Some of the best tanks I've seen have been low of eighty, high of eighty-three, locally, and they do it because they don't want to air condition so much.
0: Are those? But they're amazing. Halide lit tanks, or
1: um, he switched out to LEDs, and he just still uh, has a high temperature. Hmm. Yeah, he just kept it up there, and his growth rates are uh, are very good. And he does not have cyano, he does not have diatoms, and he does not have um, the random uh, RTN or STN from the base really ever. Like if I, that's my guy. I give my like my, my frags to as a secondary source because I trust him, and he never kills anything.
0: That's your bank yeah yeah so uh all right i want to i want to dig into this calc slurry thing and i don't want to like beat that thing to death because i know you've been talking a lot about calc and there's a lot of um, strong opinions out there about it and uh, we'll definitely get into that discussion but let's let's talk about lighting you mentioned metal halides and we saw your uh cache of t5 um bulbs but also behind you you've got uh some leds and, and those are uh, a brand of lights that um you manufacture right or that you produce
1: Yeah. So, um, I, uh, I sell them, they're manufactured in China. Uh, my big, my big goal with this light brand, uh, currently was to provide a blanket T five like coverage for a price that you, you know, is more attractive than maybe your elite models. Um, and I have really, this is my first and only, uh, all LED tank, and I am matching my growth rates of my T5 system in the back and my halide system right here. Um, so I spent a lot of time on the on the um, spectrums. And um, I do believe that uh, every type of lighting has its place. Um, and some spotlight lights are really good for like maybe LPS or etc. Um, but if you look at a halide, it's not a point source like, uh, like the spotlight's that we have currently, it's actually multi-reflection. You're getting all these beam angles. So my thought was, is how can I introduce a light bar? And this is a six footer, which um, there's not many six footers in the industry, but I'm like, I want to make the, a light bar that can give you the cheapest grow operation. So you buy those 115 uh, gallon um, fry flats that I showed you, those seven foot by three yeah. foot. These are designed for those. Cause I want to, uh, how can I help an entry agriculturist get easy to grow light. You know, it's like the T5. I have four spectrums. Pick them out, put them in. You're good. There's no adjusting this, that, and the other. And then how can I make it as cheap as possible? Um, I, I kind of talked to you about it. I am actually working on 100% um, manufactured in America. Uh, of course, there's global components um, of a next-gen light bar that's going to be significantly different than anything um, currently on the market that's in a mass quantity in America. Okay. So, um, looking at, I, I do, um, you're, you're, you're sponsored by Ecotech. Okay. I look at those Ecotech radians and man, what they do with those LEDs and, and, and cost can send out that beautiful blanket of light or what your mitras do that beautiful blanket of light. Um, I think there's a space for a higher end bar. That can uh, can can meet those needs. So that's kind of where I do this in my part time. It's kind of my passion. Um, kind of like you selling coral. You know, <laughs> it's something we do. Uh, I actually tried to do what you're doing, and I realize light bars don't die and they don't um, <laughs> they don't get cold. <laughs> so I yeah, I do sell locals, there's challenges
0: with shipping live corals. Had an incident today. Thanks UPS. Um, but um, enough about that. So uh, you're getting some kudos about, um, about your light bars, UK Reef Bro. We need the Luka bars in the UK. Rob B's Reef. I'm loving my Quantas. Uh, what else did I see here? Um, Reef Tank Paradise with Reefer Man 720 Sean M. That's one hell of a screen name. Uh, hey, Lucas. Uh, thanks for the uh, Luca. She should have said. Thanks for the lights work great.
1: That's uh, awesome. You know it's pretty fun. I make them for the hobbyist. I don't spend marketing dollars on them. It's working. Um, I think the most exciting thing is, is I still work with every customer and I think that's how you are Keith. I, uh, I actually I do want to buy corals from you because you have some really cool old school stuff, but you know, working with the individual customer and then they see results in your, that's very rewarding to me. So, uh, thank you guys. And, um, you know, Keep on, uh, keep on supporting me, so I appreciate um,
0: that. Farmer Frags is asking, what drivers are you running?
1: For the LED bars or for my house? I'm assuming
0: for the LED bars.
1: Uh, so I'm running, um, I'm, pushing, I'm pushing, I have more LEDs per foot than most bars, so I'm pushing at the same um, overall current, but with more, I mean, same overall voltage drive. So I'm actually pushing each LED with a little bit less current. Um, So like this, this six foot bar is pushing a a true 108 watts compared to the competition's 70 or 75. Uh, My 48 inch bar pushes 72 watts. So a little bit higher current. (laughs) The way you organize the LEDs and stuff, at the end of the day, per LED, my wattage is lower. So I can push more wattage. With the same heat exchanger efficiency of uh, standard LED light bars that are on the market,
0: what kind of PAR are those uh, light bars cranking out? So these,
1: I got, I got five of these uh, six footers on this um, six foot by twenty eight inch tank, and it's uh, it's basically between four hundred and twenty to five hundred and forty hmm. across eighty five percent of the wow. tank.
0: Wow, it's impressive. Oh. So how how did you pick the uh, spectrums? You've got four uh, four. Four spectrums, right? So um, that people can choose from. How how did you uh, come up with those spectrums? What kind of data did you um, base all of that off of?
1: So I was um, I started looking at the natural attenuation of, of uh, sunshine in in water, uh, salt water, and you know I think my expectation was is that the blue would go through really easily and everything else dies out. what the research shows is that three meters you still have a ton of green and orange and you do have some red but there's a sharp drop off i think it's 620 nanometers light and anything further if you get five meters down it's really getting reduced drastically but your uv your violet your blue and your green and your oranges are going to make further down so I looked at all the current lighting on the, on the market and your, your, uh, light, uh, that one has some UV and some violet in it, but a lot of them lack a lot of violet and, and maybe are more centered around 450 and 470 nanometers. And, um, if Mr. Mr. still on, he, I caught him, he was talking to Trulio from reef bright and they were talking about green, um, my daylight bars do have green because I, I'm like, why aren't they in? And I get people don't might not look that, like that look, but if, it, if it's a uh, useful wavelength for the corals, that's interesting. And if it's also the most dominant light going through the water, it seems weird not to have some of that in there. So my four light bars, the OG pop is your traditional uh, two blue spectrum, your 450 and your 4, uh, 470. Make the pop. The mezzo blue is a lot more violet um, and especially heavy violet, like 430 is my favorite. So my peak is 432 on that, which is about as close to an ATI blue plus. I'll be honest, Keith, I wanted to make the first replacement ATI blue plus bar and it's damn close. Um, and I made that one because I, I'm old. So you, you talked, I'm like, I've been in this hobby for way too long. And I was the one wiring up the VHOs and putting mm-hmm. the ice cap ballast on. And I still remember a tinic And a tinnoc made corals pop differently than royal blue and blue. So I wanted to introduce a light bar that's heavy violet for, number one, old school reefers that want to see that old school actinic pop. But also new school reefers, you take the blue, you take the tinnic, you balance those out, and you can get a really nice uh, broad-based coral efflu- uh, fluorescence. So what I noticed is with uh, more violet, my blue, my blue, um, my blue acros um, under the violet glow like you don't see with your traditional blue light bar. So I stumbled upon that and I said, I'm going to make one light bar that could be used by itself for reef applications. That's reef pressed daylight. Um, and then the tropic sun has a lot of, uh, it actually has a lot of warm white because I like looking at fish. So I want my color rendering index on this a high. So people come over and the first thing they talk about when the, light, the lights are on is, wow, this really has vibrant colors. And I am not afraid of a white tank. I mean, I got the Ushio's blanging over yeah. there. So, you know, that's my motivation. Um, you know, it is a Chinese made light bar. Uh, so that's a knock that people have set against it. Um, but I spent a year and a half developing the spectrums and um torture testing the lights um if you look at my instagram i lit my uh, i took some Meso blues and i lit my trees out front for christmas <laughs> and i left the lights out there for three months and they worked flawlessly through sleet, rain you name it so yeah that's where i'm at you know it's not for everyone some people like to change their lights with the dial and the apps this is old school so i'm getting a lot of beginner reefers they're like luca i am Overwhelmed with these channels and stuff, and I'm like, "What do you want to keep? Buy these two bars, plug them in, put them on a timer. You're done. Have a good day." So that's what that's what we're doing there.
0: So it just seems like it's a it's a um, it's a it's a simpler, more kind of plug and play LED than some of the other stuff that's out there. I mean, I know with the, my uh, my you know my Mitras, it was overwhelming to me to to get used to them because being a uh, metal halide T5 guy and just you know plugging those fixtures in and just worrying yeah. about when they were coming on and going <laughs> off you know with all the different spectrum choices and the intensities and all that stuff it it, yeah. it definitely had me um you know it was it was confusing and 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 uh overwhelming but um you know i think the key for me and it seems like an important thing with leds is is um you know not to make a lot of changes to um to the spectrum or the intensity like yep. you kind of like you what i try to do is settle on a um uh spectrum and uh you know intensity intensity levels that i was satisfied with yep. before i put corals in the tank you know I, i'm kind of like a big uh, i like the i don't like a very blue lit tank you know and so a lot of the lighting profiles that i was getting were very were way too blue for me so yep. uh, and you know I have uh, the the lit tank in the same room as my display tank with the halides and I'm looking at the halides and I'm looking at the blue like LEDs and I'm like I can't I can't I can't I can't <laughs> go there with the blue LEDs so I did a um, and actually Jim Jim uh, Graham Telegram did me a solid and yep. came up with a spectrum that mimics the four and a watt you know twenty k halides from from my metras so you know I think. Yep. I don't know what your experience is, but I think that's what I've learned in my short time using LEDs is that um, it really doesn't pay to do a lot of tweaking. Maybe you tweak here and there, but to make a lot of you know, changes along the way is probably not yeah. going to be beneficial to corals. Um, go ahead.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say uh, one of the things I did is I have a spectrometer, and I tested my Ushios. I tested 14K. I tested 20K, multiple different sources. And I will say that I designed these lights so, like, us halide guys, I can make a mix that looks like a 14K Phoenix. Like, boom, here you go. Because I do think that I, I respect people that are into the blue. I'm not hating. I mean, it's your hobby. You want to put pink lights in your tank. As long as it doesn't kill corals, I don't care. But I do like that classical crisp white blue where the colors in the fish pop. You know, it's just something about it. So I hear you, and I know uh, Telegram. I think did he do uh the radium the radium 20k right? He, he, yeah, his he, um, he imitated it, it
0: was a um, it was a blend of 400 watt 20k Hamiltons and uh, 250 watt 20k radium bulbs. That was kind of like the blend. I, came, radium. That's what the blend came up with. Yeah, Chris from ACI makes a good point, but uh, you know what? It's it's not necessarily what we like to look at, but what's best for the corals, you know, and yep. and um, you know. So I think you got to look at look at the corals and see how they react in terms of the light. But uh, you know, listen, a lot of people uh, love the blue light and they have kick-ass tanks. So it's not something it's exactly. not something I like to look at, but you know, other people that run the full spectrum stuff. I, I I'm I'm more of a um a full spectrum guy, you know, have success uh, as well. So I get you know, there's a lot of factors in in play. So uh. Speaking of Telegram, has he uh, kicked the tires yet on the uh, Quantum Pros? Has he uh, dissected it and uh, turned it inside out yet?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, to, to take these apart, you have to use a, um, a grinder saw. So I said I sent him <laughs> some. I'm like, if you want to do it, that's fine. I use glass on these, not plastic, because it, transmit it transmits more light at the thickness you can use glass at. Um, however, um, me and Jim are friends, uh, so I'm pretty open about that. Full disclosure, and, right? Um, yeah, the the Instagram community did not take kindly to that, and they thought we were colluding because these power values can't be real, whatever it was. Um, so actually, I I, I I talk to Jim all the time, and I was like, hey man, just it's cool. Don't you don't have to publish the data. Um, I do think I'm going to publish the data because um, I think the data is valid, and I think um, it's kind of exciting. But Jim might. He might be sent up a tank. He might put it over there. He might compare the the value compared to major brands of lights out there. Um, And you're talking about comparing spectrum uh, coverage and then also par and then cost and whatever. So he, uh, uh, if you know, Chris Clevin, he's the guy, the random, random flow generator guy. Um, He took one and did some hilarious stuff where he was standing on it. He was like smashing his tree with it. It was still working. And, and he took it apart. He used to use a, a blowtorch, I believe, to get the glass off because it's a, it's a high-temp epoxy. But really simple. What I like about it is it's a simple chassis that's uh, mass-produced. And the only thing that's special about them are the lights inside, the so LEDs, is using unconventional LEDs. And to Chris's point, I do tell people, I'm like, if you want that uh, ultra-blue look, um, you know, you can use my meso blues and OG pops and never, I, I get it, but I, if you want to see growth and health, and if you have acros, if you have milliporas and things like that, put some white on there and, and, and it just turn it on when you're not, if you hate white light, just turn it on when you're not there. Um, and so, you know, I am a full spectrum believer. I use 10 K Ushios as my standard, uh, for all my growth trials. So, yeah, so that's that's kind of where I'm at. I'm with you. I don't like the totally blue tank. Uh, when I first got into this, I was making my own um, light, like, uh, panels, and I was welding, uh, soldering in all the different LEDs, and I made one all blues because at that time that's all I heard. And when I turned it on, Keith, I was expecting to see, like, this revelation of my tank, and I'm like, this is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> Throw it yeah. out, start over. Yeah, I'm with you. All
0: right, dude, so um... – let's talk about the caulk, uh caulk slurry you know i think you've heard me talk about this before you know i'm not, i um i find it um you know it it's something that seems risky to me and and i know that um you wouldn't be doing it if you didn't think it was a, a risky uh, proposition what um so what i what i guess i want to know is um what what uh really you know pushed you into that um um you know method in terms of using a slurry versus more traditional ways to dose coagulizers uh, why why the uh, the calc slurry
1: so i'm a uh, i'm a calcium reactor guy as you can probably guess with this much tank space you probably need something that's kind of economical and so i have my calcium reactor it's covid i'm a no name in the industry so i can't call up julian and get reborn when it's out of stock everywhere so I'm 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 crushing uh forty four pounds in it's it's fast, like it's months, right? It doesn't it's not like I buy it and it's like last forever. I'm like going through it. And
0: the reborn you're talking about
1: CO2, Yeah, the reborn, which is great stuff. Then they reformulated it. I got my hands on that and I just personally I'm not this bashing them, I just it wasn't for me. The new stuff wasn't for me. It changed. Um Yeah, and um I sent some out. I dissolved them in hydrochloric, and I sent it out for ICP testing. And it was—I confirmed what BRS was talking about about the phosphates. So I don't know what the old stuff is. It might have been the same. uh, What was
0: just so everybody uh, knows? I can't recall what was BR saying about uh, reborn phosphate.
1: Uh, It was very measurable. Um, you, You know, so it's all about how much do you dissolve in your sample. All I did is I took hydrochloric to dissolve a ton, and my phosphates were through the roof. It was like. 5,000 parts per million or whatever it was. Um, and I also sent in uh, some calcium hydroxide and some two-part to see if they had any in there. And there's was like traces. So I was like, okay, it's significant. But I was, I was fed up with uh, the maintenance of a calcium reactor. I, I hate it. Um, I worked in academia research. And when I was at UW-Wisconsin... Someone knocked over a CO2 cylinder, it broke the head off, and it shot through three uh, uh, concrete walls. And if someone were in those rooms, it got killed. So for me, if you have a calcium reactor, that's fine. I don't like the risk uh, involved with uh, highly pressurized CO2 in an enclosed space like a basement. Um, I have kids. If if they accidentally – I I chained my CO2 – bottle to my stand, but if they somehow knocked it over and it blew off the head and shot through and they died, I just wouldn't be able to sleep with that. And I actually started looking at the failure points of a calcium reactor. And I'm like, man, this is, this is way too much. This is actually, this is for me is a very risky proposition. A
0: calcium reactor.
1: You have this, these cheap regulators, you have this, uh, solenoid valve that hopefully works, but if it gets touches salt water, doesn't work. Um, you have the whole. Uh, you have a pump in there. You have to dose the pump in through it. And I was like, man, I, this is too expensive. I, I'm trying to cut costs. So I uh, I looked up Randy Holmes because uh, he had a bunch of stuff. In 1991, he talked about calcium hydroxide. And one of the things he said was, you could add it in um, dry form into the sump slowly on a daily basis. It would work. And so then I sent a post on the reef-to-reef and I'm like, hey, Randy, um, I'm assuming you'd have boundary layer precipitation if the pH gets too high, if it's not agitated, blah, blah, blah. He walked me through all his concerns. I pulled out my chemistry books. I started looking at the, the, the um, precipitation of magnesium, calcium, and any other traces. And so I, I said, okay, I'm going to formulate a new way of doing this. And here's the asterisk, because there's certain people that are pretty critical of my method. Um, engineers aren't deriving equations and things like that they're taking existing things and they can apply it in a system that works so i'm not here to prove that calcium hydroxide dissolves in salt water it does i don't need to prove that i i am very aware of the ph issues so i have my ph probe in my sump and at 8.7 it'll shut everything down because you can get precipitation i have uh gyres on both sides of my sump that are offset and, and going like this. So it's swirling. The P, the slurry drips in there. Um, and by my measure, I have one dosing pump and one JBO pump inside the slurry tank that has a ceramic shaft and ceramic bearings and ceramic is, uh, it's, uh, it's about 1.5. Harder on the most scale, meaning the hydroxide will not destroy your ceramic shaft and bearings. Um, so for my system, uh, I have one dosing pump, which I think no one would argue is, is uh, unreliable. And I have one JBO bo wave maker that I think, as long as you take care of them, they work pretty good. That's my system. So if you want to call it risky, I will admit, if you don't know chemistry, you don't know how to make a solution, you don't know how to uh, make sure you have proper agitation, proper turnover, you don't understand if you go above a certain pH it's risky. And at first I said, Keith, no way is this risky. But then I get a lot of people on Instagram asking me tons of questions. They don't know the difference between a dose like 20 mils of it versus a a flow rate, which is the 20 mils per minute. So then I had to recheck myself and I actually think a lot of what we do is, uh, uh, advanced because I think the average population doesn't grasp very simple principles of chemistry. Um, so I do dissuade people from doing this unless they're advanced. They have a ton of, ton of coral and they want to save a ton of money. So I have used uh, Mississippi lime. I can get that before COVID for $20 for 50 pounds. Um, and I had no contamination issues. I posted my ICP results because everyone's like, oh, you're going to poison your tank and everything like that. I posted that. I have switched over to Captivate's Calcium Hydroxide. It's really good stuff. Uh, my numbers are still great. I have never had in one and a half, uh, 1.3 years, I've never had an overdose. I've never had a catastrophic loss. I've never had an, uh, a pump failure or a dosing pump failure. I haven't even changed my dosing tube on my Comer in one and a half years or however long, and I'm dosing calc slurry. I clean the tip where my stuff drifts out. I make new solutions. I put my Jbo pump in vinegar every four months, and if you go on my Instagram page, I have two presentations in particular that show you how to set it up and show you talk about all the risks and talk about all the myths behind it. Um, I do respect Chris Meckley and Chris Woods; they think it's pretty risky. Um, I do I, I respect them. I'm not going to argue. Uh, however, for me and about I think I got in contact with about hundred people that are doing this. It's working, and it's working really well.
0: So why not um, go with a, uh, a more traditional, you know, setup using like a, uh, a calc uh, stirrer or a, uh, a drum and, and dose it? Why um, why go with the slurry?
1: Uh, so super valid. And the first thing I asked them, everyone that's interested, um, I said, "Can you add enough alkalinity through regular calc through your evaporation rates to meet your alkalines?" If they say yes. I say, you're not using slurry, you're using the old school method. So, for me, before this live stream, yesterday I turned off my, elk, uh, my calc slurry dosing pump for 12 hours and it went down 1.5 DKH. So, I'm at 3 DKH per day for 1,000 gallons. So, for me, I can't evaporate enough water, Keith, to use traditional. And if I could, I will.
0: I hear you. So, what I'm hearing is that this is really a a way to dose cockwasser kind of like on steroids if you're not using a calcium reactor. Or if you're using a calcium reactor and you want to dose cockwasser, then the slurry will, um, you know, allow you to do to get to where you want to get if you can't do that via the evaporation that you're getting from your
1: tank. Precisely. Yep. Gotcha. So, uh i you know whatever jim jim made the breakthrough on the jable pump i really had the this crazy idea to dose it and i was making all these ridiculous mixers and stuff like that but if i i'm going to set up one of my 12 foot troughs of zacapora and and just sps and i'm gonna have to go slurry on that one the other one's gonna be lps and the surface area is gonna is gonna exceed the evaporation rate will exceed my out demand and, Keith, I'm going to the same setup as you have. I'm going to have a 50 or a 75 or a 100-gallon system. I'm going to put the calcium hydroxide in. I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to use the floating uh, suction line like you and Chris have talked about, and I'm going to use that for that system because I want to show people that this is a very valuable and useful method. But for my Acropora system, uh, yeah, I do want to go calcularry.
0: Um, Question for you about the slurry, do you swap it out at all, or do you just let it ride in terms of just replenishing it?
1: Um, so I do a batch uh, process. I fill it up. I let it draw down to the very bottom, and I fill it up. And every four months when I clean the, when I clean the pump, I draw it down, and I take the whole thing, take it outside, hose it all off, get my muriatic acid, hydrochloric acid. I put in a bug sprayer. It's not concentrated, it's dilute. Shh. Clean it all off, shine it bottle back up, Keith, and I put it back downstairs.
0: Yeah, I uh every 2 months I clean out my uh, you know, drums in terms of my cock washer to get that sediment out there because uh you just mm. don't know in, in in uh, you know, in, in terms of the um contaminants that might uh, build up. The um so yeah, yeah, you're uh, you're definitely getting confirmation from Chris that it's a little uh, it's a little too scary for him in terms of using the uh, the slurry. Not saying it doesn't work for Luke, it's just not
1: me I have have too much invested. He, he's he's he's, uh, he's in, I think in a year, I'm gonna drive down there and I'm gonna make him an ultimate calc slurry machine, and I think he's gonna go for it. Uh, joking aside, I will say that I do have heavy mechanical filtration on my tank, and I think you saw my video where I have those mats of poly that my, my water goes through. So one of the things is, is I don't have any contaminants, so to speak, uh, that you would associate with the calcium hydroxide fallout. Now, some of this is because the solubility of these are very low once they get in that precipitated uh, form. And if you're keeping your pH high, Keith, your solubility of aluminum stuff goes really low. So it's actually funny, the calcium hydroxide does have contaminants in it, but the calcium hydroxide keeps your tank pH high. So it actually limits the disassociation of these elements. And so I do find my, uh, my aluminum levels are at the natural disassociation levels, um, at that pH level. So I have about 11, uh, micrograms per liter. Um, but, uh, What's interesting is I filter out the sediment religiously because it could be trapped in there. And if something happened wrong, it could release it. So I'm taking that out. The other thing I'm doing is I don't use DI. Um, I'm, I'm big in testing theories. And I started, I started evaluating my, my uh, RO DI system. And if you use ICP testing from ATI, they test your, um, they test your RO water. So I took my DI system off, and there's nothing bad in it except for silicates. And guess what? Calc precipitates out silicates. Silicates. So my 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 water that I fill, I do my large water changes, my top off, has 2,000 milligrams per liter silicates. And my tank, my tank, my reef tank water, my last ICP, they told me I need to start dosing silicates because it's only at 90. So. It, it's, it's amazing to me what when you when you dose calcium hydroxide slurry into the tank, your silicate problem goes away, your phosphates are going to drop. And I'm not seeing the, the metals accumulation and I'm in this over a year. So I was OK with people previously saying, dude, this is not going to work and blah, blah, blah. I was nervous as shit. I, I'm not going to lie. Pardon my French. I'm, I'm sitting there sending out ICTs every three weeks. I'm dead scared. I'm mm-hmm. like, this could really happen, blah, blah, blah. And now I send them out, and I'm with, with I use captivates trace elements, the MT trace or whatever to score a 99 on, on the uh, ATI/ ICP test, you have to basically have perfect everything. I'm routinely between 98 and 99 in those tests, so at least what science can measure, it appears it's not having a detrimental effect on my aquarium that's all I can
0: offer. Yeah, so you just mentioned that you use the, uh, the Captivate uh, Aquaculture Traces. You talked about the Captivate Cockwasser. Um, so you and I have something in common. I've I just started using all that stuff, as well as uh, their salt. And um, Chris Meckley turned me on to yeah. all their stuff. Yeah, there you go. This that's is, the Cockwasser. That's their salt bucket.
1: No, yeah. this, this, uh, what he does for me, because I do 180 gallons, he, make, he mixes it up, so I just I dump this in and put my stuff in there, and it's, it's ready to go.
0: Oh, yeah. It's a four-part uh, salt mix, so it, uh, that, that makes it a little uh, easier. What's, uh, how long have you been using the Captivate uh, salt? I've been using it a full week.
1: Oh, wow. So I'm, I've been working with Chris for, I think, over a year. So actually, this is their old dry mix stuff, which they would send me, and you'd have to slowly put this in the water because it would boil the water. This is the dry mix. And I'd source my own calcium, uh, sodium chloride. Now he has gone to the four part. I'm through my, I'm almost through my huge order I placed with him. It's only going to get better because it can be easier to use. Yeah. Um, I have, I have to say that this is the cleanest salt I've ever used. It's clean. I used to work, I used to work for Cargill and I, you know, I worked in the salt division. It's kind of weird how all this works together. Yeah. I was a chemical engineer <laughs> at their premier salt plant, which makes all of their, uh, high grade salt. And so I just called up Cargill and I'm like, Hey, how do I find a distributor so I can buy your salt? Cause I know I want the high grade, blah, blah, blah. So I'm getting pharmaceutical grade salt for retail, res- uh, restaurant grade prices. I'm mixing it with farmer grade salt mix and, and my cost with the volumes I buy is no different than buying, uh, Red Sea, the Blue Bucket, or even could be approaching Instant Ocean per gallon. Um, I've been super happy with it. And I just, I, again, I'm going to support the small guy because I'm a small guy. And I get direct support from that man. And he is a true genius. So I ask him questions. He guides me. And, and I've been nothing but satisfied. I try to get all the reefers that come over. I keep, uh, I keep this right here. Right here. And I try to introduce all the reefers. If there's one thing you get from me, just if you don't want to waste money on trace elements, this little bottle for the price they charge is the equivalent of like a hundred gallons of some of the major brands. I'm not going to say them for the same price. So, why wouldn't you get people on this?
0: Yeah. You know, uh, when, when I had, uh, Chris on, he, he just had a, um, there was just a lot of information to uh, dissect. It was a, uh, a great discussion and, uh, yeah, I had a similar experience with him in terms of dealing with him about my, uh, my systems. He's, um, you know, very willing to help and, and to, uh, to help guide and provide advice. So it's, um, you know, my journey is just kind of beginning with the captivate, um, you know, products, but, uh, so far I'm really, uh, digging it. And, uh, Yeah, you know, I mean I used to use instant ocean salt and that was like probably the dirtiest salt I'd ever uh, mixed up, you know. And I had to take like, uh, I had to take my my salt water mixing drum out and frickin' blast it with a power washer before I made the switch over to the Captivate uh, salt. And uh, yeah, so I spent a good couple hours just trying to blast out all that instant ocean nasty residue stuff. So, um, I got it about as clean as I could, but yeah, it, it cleans up really, really clean, clear. And I love the fact that I don't have to do any testing in terms of, you know, key parameters in in that mix, because if you mix it correctly, then it's going to mix up perfectly in terms of all the key parameters. So it's, 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 you know, it's something to, to not have to worry about. Right. And you've, you've got all these stories going on in terms of this salt or that salt and these different, um, you know, uh manufacturer glitches where you've got, uh, certain issues with the salt, you know, here and there. And, and, uh, I mean, you know, I, I, I had great experiences using IO and, and I'm not knocking IO, but you never know when you have a mass produced salt like that in terms of what kind of batch you're going to get and what kind of hand you're going to be dealt with. So, um, you know, and I've had different, um, concentrations of magnesium from batch to batch and one time, yep. it was like a really, really low, you know, concentration of magnesium. So, you know, the price of the salt is not, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's more expensive than the major brands of salt out there. Mm-hmm. But, you mm-hmm. know, I'm not, I don't have to dose magnesium when I'm mixing it up because it's already there. So, you're kind of you saving know, money on that end.
1: You know, Keith, I'm interested to hear because with the liquid solution, it must be really quick and easy. Is that a correct uh, assumption? Think, you know, for me, it maybe takes 10 minutes
0: to mix up 40 gallons of it. Not bad. So, um, not bad. you know, it's not as plug and play as the instant ocean salt. <laughs> but, you know, you, no. it's, uh, but there's a reason why it's in four part. And ESV is a four part uh, salt, too. And I used to use that with uh, great success. Good
1: stuff. Yeah. You know, I'd probably, I'd probably be remiss. I, I try to give credit where credit's due and I try not to be influenced by things. Uh, Brightwell has a very nice uh, salt. It uses anhydrous materials, which are very high purity. So uh, I have never tried Brightwell, but I do think I'm going to try it in the future because um, it seemingly is also uh, made with very good ingredients. But here's the problem, Keith. So when you blend blend, um, mixes of salt, it's very hard to get a perfect mix. And let's say we start a mix co- uh, salt company. We're mixing this and it's perfect. The problem is you drive on trucks and you're shipping across the country. What happens? Is you get stratification. And so when a hobbyist goes in there and scoops out, I'm gonna make 10 gallons. They make 10 gallons and they say, hey, look at how low the magnesium is. Then they make another 10 gallons. And they say, what the hell? This magnesium coming up by the bottom of the thing, like the magnesium's way high. So it's possible but i do like that brightwell does make convenient sizes cuz i personally will not i don't want to use anything but the whole contents because you get stratification and so for trace elements especially you're talking about you're talking about little specks in a sea of salt mm-hmm. if you take a scoop you might miss both those little specks and now you have none of those trace elements and the next scoop you have double so i do like the liquid method because it's, it's an ionic solution and there is no separation. That is a homogeneous solution. So for you using Captivate in your home, you are getting the perfect mix of all the elements, uh, compared to a pre dry salt that's used, um, inter intermittently. Yep. So
0: Luca in, in, uh, your bio, I mentioned that you like to assess, you know, certain assumptions in the hobby and we've talked about, um, some stuff in terms of things that you've, uh, kind of uh, mm-hmm. looked at and studied in terms of the uh, you know some 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 not so conventional methods in terms of the caulk slurry and and you've got your own um yep. you know lighting solution so uh what else man what else have you um kind of wanted to kick the tires on and 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 turn um you know take a look at and dig a little bit deeper into ter- in terms of certain like accepted principles and practices in the reef keeping hobby that maybe you weren't totally buying into
1: yeah, I, I will say... I, I won't um, say
0: not buying into it. Let's just say that uh, you kind of wanted to dig a little bit deeper in terms of why those certain assumptions had been made.
1: Yeah, so I think it's a cool, a cool question. Um, and I'm not saying that I'm, I'm pioneering this, but... You're a curious guy. No rock. I'm a curious guy. And this, this TSA, I think TSA was the first person to do this. And if they're not, I'm sorry whoever invented this idea. The PVC racking. So... I'm getting really obsessed with flow, and I'm realizing how limiting our current flow options are. And people are like, what are you talking about, Luca? This is ridiculous. But I'm talking about going that next letter down. So you're looking at flow for SPS. What are the different types of flow? You have the incoming tide, the outgoing tide. You have, you have wave action. You have all these things. And so I bought the Hydros wave engine, and I crashed my unit, and it was broken. I send it back to Carlos from Coral View. He goes, Luca, how many schedules did you load in this thing? And he's like, it doesn't matter. I'm like, I completely disagree, Carlos. If you set up asymmetrical. So this tank has a ton of, unfortunately, has a ton of uh, J-Bows in here. Because I just got my unit back. I have three gyres in there. And they're asymmetrically placed. There's two on this wall. And they're kind of angled. And they're off center. There's one on the back wall, uh, on the side wall, other side wall that's off center. And I found through testing, if you start doing different flow patterns um, with the physics of the tank, so instead of just having all this flow working against each other, actually have strategic flows moving, you can create far more random flow inside the tank. So people assume you put flows on both sides of your tank and you put them on random and it's gonna be super random flow. It really isn't because you're fighting the flows and it, as random as it is, you're actually, it's the same thing, just trying to change the speeds. So if you can actually take truly random flow and have it different ways, so I can do, I can do gyro mine, roll it. I can do counter coil. I call it toilet, you know, like a toilet. It's, it's rotating like around in a circle. You can do opposing heads that are angled and it creates these riffles and these, these flutters in the water. So, um, Carlos, so here's a huge shout out to Hydros. And again, I borrow stuff for retail price. I'm not getting paid to say this. Carlos is like, okay, I can kind of buy into it. I still think you're crazy, but I respect it. He's like, really cool about it, right? Mm-hmm. His next revision on the software is going to allow me to put in 400 schedules. Now, I'm never going to use that many, or mm-hmm. he said it was something crazy. I can't remember what it was. But it's like that. Allow me, if you already have the software, can you please allow me to do more things than what you're allowing? everyone to do. I would actually like a I'd like to have a three-dimensional graph of the three pumps where you vary the flow and you can make an hour segment and you can cut them and paste them into a visual flow pattern mm-hmm. because my my whole thing I guess Keith is if you truly introduce a new dimension to flow what happens to, to detritus buildup to coral growth to fish health. Now the fish are getting different flows all the time. Um, I'm, I'm talking to a biz right now. I want to, do they have any high-end electronic control valves? We can actually start getting multi-directional flow on huge adductors to get that gyre mode. So I'm, I'm really experimenting on those, those six foot by 12 foot flats that are going to be over two foot deep. Chris Meckley told me, Luca, don't make them too shallow. He is so right. You can develop so many different flow patterns, the deeper you go. And so I'm, I'm really going to try to reassess flow and what can I learn from it? is really where i'm at right now
0: yeah no flow is very very important for uh for SPS. that's uh that is certainly a key to uh success um another question that you had actually mentioned to me that you wanted to make sure that i asked you this question and that question is biggest failures right so you've you've done a lot of yeah. uh tinkering in this hobby what what have been some of your biggest uh failures in terms of that tinkering or maybe it's not been tinkering. Uh, maybe it was like stuff that you were doing that you thought was like on solid ground.
1: So um, so I think I, I think if you're really open about your successes, you should be open about your failures. And I have failed a lot. So when I went from my original sixty five gallon, I went to this the two fifty right here. And I had a two fifty, I had a sump in the back, and it was like growing I mean I Keith it was truly insane. It was something to behold. I was loving it. I had no apex. It was just growing corals like crazy. I was, I was using uh, calc wasser as much as I could for evaporation, and I had a calcium reactor. I had no idea that it was boosting pH. I had this, uh, all right, calc, and then I'll use a calcium reactor. Then I added, this is the dumbest, I, this is still, I am embarrassed about this. I built a rack. You know those storage racks, mm-hmm. those like metal storage yeah. racks? I, I got one and I put four low boys on Ooh. top of each other. So it was like you had room, and then you had room, theoretically. And I'm a, I'm a, young, I'm a young reefer, and so I get these things going. Low boys were a real hassle anyways. They suck. They leak and all that stuff. But yeah, like, they do. I have one pump going up to the top one, and it is cascading the water all the way down. I'm like, dude, these, these reapers out here, these agriculturists, wasting all this energy, idiots, I'm <laughs> going to show them. I got this eco mode, right? And I put gyres in there. And actually, to this day, the most successful um, SPS tank I ever had was my second down low boy. It, grew, it literally grew the best corals I've ever grown in my life. But here's the problem, for a while. I had to try this build up. I couldn't even barely clean the top one. I couldn't barely get it down to the bottom one. My knees are hurting. It, it, there's springing leaks. I mean, there's, there's salt water. They would The overflows I put in would clog with algae, and I'd come home and there'd be water overflowing. My wife was like, <laughs> I'm going to sledgehammer this whole system. <laughs> so I would actually say that my, my first attempt at um, aquaculture, while the corals were beautiful for about a year, it was an utter failure. It was so bad. I got desperate. I put the flats in the basement, took all the corals out of my entire system, shut it down, ripped out the entire rack, all the plumbing, the sump. I mean, literally everything built a new system that you just saw in three days. I didn't sleep. I should have done like crack or something because I was dead (laughs) and I transferred all back. It was, you know, if you're going to do something like that, it has to be bad. I was really convinced that all my low boys were going to fracture completely and I was going to lose my entire system and I was going to probably get divorced from my wife. So <laughs> I did it all. Uh, my buddy helped me and we replumbed an entire thousand gallon system in three days, remounted all the corals, did everything. And it was uh, it, it was so embarrassing to me. Um, and then my not, my second largest failure is I showed you that little 65 I still yeah. have. I had a small overflow on it, and it overflowed seven times, mm. seven times. And I'm like, "Honey, this is the last <laughs> time I fixed I promise. it." So I finally dropped the level. Coals in there, coals in there. Got my drill out. Zeke put a two-inch hole in it, loaded with coals and water. re-plumbed the two-inch overflow on that thing live, and it, it worked. And losing my coals, I used the um, the old way they used to ship acros was in wet newspaper and shit. Yeah. That's how we used to receive them back in the day. I wrapped my entire tank in um, uh, paper towels and newspaper, and I put a little pump that was just dribbling water over it while I did this idiotic thing, putting glass shavings everywhere in my tank. I mean, completely stupid. Um, How long were they uh, put, uh, with the wet paper
0: uh, or with the uh, wet uh, towels over them for? Two hours. Two,
1: two to three hours, um, and then I had to get some special socks to get the glass pieces out. Um, <laughs> So those are my biggest failures. Uh probably probably um some of the most humbling things is when you think you are onto something. You know, Keith, like you're truly onto something. And you're so wrong, it's 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 almost it's almost like stupid. So my calcium reactor. I had a I had a uh I I took a cone palmer from our our, uh company and I used a, a $2,000 $2,000 pump and I was, I was metering in the, the water for the CO2 uh, for the calcium reactor. I'm like, I got something better. I'm going to gravity flow it because then gravity never fails and I'll have constant flow rate. And I made this adjustable stand tube. Okay? So the water flow into it, it overflow out of it, but you could adjust it so you could adjust the head pressure going in the calcium reactor so you could adjust your flow. Well, guess what? You get a little accumulation of detritus in there, it stops working. Mm. So I was literally adjusting this thing every single day. And I'm like, what am I? I am so so dumb. So I got the, the peristaltic pump back in. So there's been a lot of that. My first six months on calcium, uh, calc was complete failures. I'd try to make um, agitators that were out of the water because the calcium hydroxide is aggressive. They would stop. One started smoking. My wife's like, uh, something smells bad in here. I mean, you name it. Uh, I've never blown up a. Tank have you only had uh, one on my...
0: marriage, or are you on your second?
1: One marriage. <laughs> she's a uh, she's a keeper. She's a keeper, Keith. Um, she also knows. I think I think a lot of us, though, in this industry, though, or a hobby, I should say, um, we might have we might have hyperactivity, we might have obsessive compulsive, we might just be a serious nerd, but she knows that this is kind of therapy for me, and it keeps me grounded from doing worse things like driving fast motorcycles again or going to the bars so she's actually pretty good with that mm. that makes
0: sense. yeah yeah no i hear you um so what what's out there right now in terms of products that you think can be improved upon i mean um you know obviously you've you've um tried to be an innovator and and, and um come up with stuff that you think has um you know i i'm not gonna say fallen short and all that sort of thing but uh what, what would you like to kind of see out there that, um, you know, uh, um, whatever kind of product it is that could potentially have, um, there, there could be some sort of innovation involved where it, it could be made better? Is there anything out there that you think that um, could be improved upon?
1: Yeah, I, I do. Um, and there, there's a couple ways to look at this. Like, a simple improvement, I would say, is if you're a new hobbyist, don't get a rimless tank. Go buy an Aquion cheap tank and save yourself some money. This, this, for me, innovation might mean simplicity. So I, I don't get all these high-end tanks when a, a, an old-school tank is going to give you a beautiful reef. Um, but for me, for products, um, what, what, I, what I see, and, and a couple people have talked about this, spend less of your money on marketing and spend more of your money on the product or the if you're making uh, food for corals, sh- get some science behind it, maybe. Or just whatever you can possibly do. Like, hey, we set up 14 tanks. Seven of them had our product, seven of them didn't. And we measured the 20 corals in each tank every two months for a year, and here's the results. This is why you should buy our product. Um, that's just one idea. I think... Innovation might mean more to me. Use what actually works and, 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 and get rid of some of the snake oil and, and the things like that. Like The one that bothers me the most, and it's a safe topic because it's, an, it's, it's cool now, so I'm not going to get flamed on it. Hmm. I will tell you, Keith, when you challenge status quo, it's, it's, it's a different world and people get they're personally attached to these things and they get angry at you. And it's weird because you're presenting an idea. And I joke with some of the other people that do this. It's like we're uh, in the middle ages getting stoned for thinking the earth is round. (laughs) Um, and sometimes the earth isn't round; we were wrong, but, um, I do look at innovation. I think if we think back 10 years ago, um, equipment in general, in my opinion, lasted longer. In fact, I still have ATI fixtures from I don't even know when. I had to buy new plexiglass because the plexiglass got so old, and it still works. My 65-gallon is, is, is older than a 30-year-old, and it still works. <laughs> um, I don't know if acrylic is the answer for a lot of stuff. So, you know, the longevity of things. I guess the biggest innovation I would be looking at is flow. Um, I'm, lo- I'm watching the biz. Um. Uh, I, I, think, I think J-Bo offers zero innovation. They're just copying a, a worn out design. Um, I think I, if I'm being open, I think big companies like Ecotech should start looking at next generation flow machines. How can you, how can you completely change the game? There's so many different ways to do that. And someone like Ecotech with the resources and their, their level of quality and their level of engineering, I look for them to take us there. Okay, you have a lot of money. No, I shouldn't say that. You have resources to a lot of money for for engineering relative to a lot of companies. I would love to see that. Um, I think we're scratching the surface on um, the innovation space in bacteria. And I'm going to okay. I'm going to get flamed for this, but you ask any ICP company to show show you their validation on the accuracy of their stuff. You're going to be hearing crickets, except for two manufacturers, and I use one of them. And even they will say, the accuracy of this stuff isn't precise. So if you're, if you're out there, if this is the only thing you take away from this talk with Luca Martino, ICP is not absolute. Is it good? Yes. Do I like to use it because it's better than what I, uh, the other options? But compared to lab-certified tested methods, the tester, I tank it cost about $5,000. Mm-hmm. dollars they're not at that level. I'd like to see innovation in the fact that, get us a 65 to $70 test kit, uh, testing method, whatever you're doing, however you do it, you send it off and you actually can say, here's our accuracy and here's our resolution. So if I send you 10 samples of salt water, it will be within these limits on all my tests. Right now, I can tell you without a doubt, cause I, I like to waste my money. I sent my tank water, captured the same way. I go cap down, invert, fill, rinse, cap down, invert, fill, with rubber gloves on, nitrile gloves, seal it off. I sent them to all the major ones. I didn't have any one that matched either one on all the elements. Mm. There was, I mean, literally one test kit said I had no iron. Their test kit said I need to do a 50% water change because I was at danger of losing corals. So I think the biggest innovation is is the realization that our testing is better, but it's not good. Look at innovation there, and then let's get that microbiome stuff figured out for sure. To people's points, give us a play-by-play what's good, what isn't. Let's see some research, a little bit of research behind it. I don't know how to do that. And help us get a good biome in our tank. Right now, I can go and get – I can get – uh, bacteria cultures, okay? You can get Dr. Tim's, you can get the uh, Brightwell, you can get all these different places. Keith, guess what? Last time I checked, lactobacillus, aka probiotics, aka bacteria that used to grow in mm-hmm. milk. I don't know if there's any scientific reason why you do be adding these to your tank, and I can tell you that they all have mm-hmm. them. It's like, c- come on, man. You want to a come on, man? It's like, don't be selling people stuff that has no business being in a saltwater aquarium. And it was, it was interesting. I actually started taking probiotics from my company and throwing my water and I get the same pH response. I get the same ORP response as these products. And then we finally just streaked them and said, what the hell, but I'm not going to publish that because I don't need the backlash. I don't, I'm not here to convince people if they think that I'm a villain and that This company is Jesus. Keep thinking that. I don't need that. I can tell personally, I don't see why you'd be adding probiotics that are consumed by humans into a saltwater aquarium. Last time I checked, they're not very similar, and most likely, they're not applicable. Here's the problem. The probiotics as we know them in saltwater, I'll challenge you to find any fermenter in the world that can reliably produce these in um, in a manufacturing setting that would be a cost effective. Uh, I'm looking at some of those species. I'm like, good luck, man. They don't even know how to grow these in, in, a, in, a, in a sterile environment because they think they need other bacteria to interact with to, to live. So um, I think that's, that's one innovation. And I probably say the last is um, I like people like you that are taking time out of your day to have people on, to experience new ideas, to learn from each other. I think the innovation I'd like to see is step back from your assumed behaviors. And I I'm gonna talk about the forums. Whoa, I don't even go there anymore. Step back from your search. This is no different than politics. I sometimes I cannot have a constructive conversation with someone that's sponsored in the industry about something that take the brands away. Step back. Why don't we start having those conversations again? So a new reefer does.
0: Yep. Luke, are you still there, man? He froze in mid thought.
1: (laughs) Am I on? Oh, now you're back. Can you hear me? Well, it was probably, it was probably, um, I was talking too much. I, I'm sorry. I talk (laughs) a lot, but, um, yeah, Keith, I was just saying about if we could all step back from preconceived notions and maybe just actually talk about what reefers really need and innovate towards that space. So Instagram, um, let's start posting content about ideas and, and concepts. And so when a new reefer comes in, he doesn't just see these macro shots, of tenuous, but he sees, hey, Keith had a guest on us talking about this. Look at here's Chris Meckley. Like what's interesting to me is like people that have high viewerships in this um, in you know, in this in this line of uh, duty, then you come across someone like Chris who I've learned so much from, yet he has limited viewership. So how do we get those people like Chris Woods? You had him on, Keith. I, I'm sorry, but if, if, if people didn't learn more in that, I that guy knows much. How do we get people like that more in the spotlight helping people understand things? And the realization is if you're if you're working for a company, you're gonna present a biased opinion. And I don't think the average human knows that. So they're like, hey, I keep hearing that if you if I put this turbo turbo lacks 5,000 in my tank, it's going to grow corals. If I'm a new reefer, I might say, hey, that's cool. I'm going to buy it. But it would be cooler if they're hearing about, here's why you want to use calcium hydroxide. Here's how you want to do this. Hey, here's the, here's the things that work. And maybe even like companies coming, maybe reassessing their product lines and saying, what is snake oil and what isn't? And let's, I let's, mean, let's maybe divest some of that.
0: I, You know, I agree with you, man. I think that, and I've talked about this a couple of times, you know, I came out of the uh, the media business and, you know, so I was working for um, CNN and Turner Broadcasting for like uh, 21 mm. years or what have you and, and I was in advertising research and we used a lot of data. You know, we used Nielsen for TV ratings. Mm. We used yep. other data sources for, um, you know, internet, digital type of data and, you know, with the digital... Um, explosion happening in in, you know the last uh, number of years there was a lot of different data sources out there to measure media and a lot of different companies that were measuring digital outlets that people were consuming and it was like the Wild West so there's a um, there's a governing body in the media business called like the Media Ratings Council and and they're like a uh, an impartial third party that evaluates and certifies methodologies so they just roll up their sleeves and they take a good hard look at the practices the principles how the data is derived you know is it on solid ground is it um something that um you know is is um you know might be saying something but it's probably something that uh you can't be too confident in in terms of the uh, what the data is saying Mm -hmm. i would love to see something like that you know in this business love it I think that would, uh, and I realize there's a lot of challenges, right, in terms of being able to fund some sort of organization that's an independent third party where you can get a certification for your product, where uh, you can get the stamp of approval that, you know, you have full disclosure and that things are, um, you know, what you say they are and, and that the consumers can have confidence in the products. You know, there's just too many products out there right now where you don't have enough disclosure there's not a lot, a lot of information on the labels in terms of what the ingredients are all about so mm. I, I, I kind of agree with you in that sense and I think there should be more full disclosure in the um, reef keeping um, marketing ecos, uh, you know ecosystem
1: okay uh, so I love it and you know, Keith here's where I get concerned so you you come from that is an impressive background and you have large corporations that have money in the aquarium space. What I struggle with is in relative to other industries, let's talk about the food industry, which I'm in currently, the market's like trillion dollars for food. I mean, it's, it's massive. I have access to a lot more because you can, you can reach a lot more households. So what I struggle with is how would you, be able to do this with these companies that might not have the fiscal resources for engineering or for scientific studies. I, I, I'll tell you what, I certainly do not have money to put into scientific studies to mm. tell you that my meso blue bar is better than A, B, and C. Yeah. However, however, I do agree with you and I directionally, I like it. And, and it's almost like if this organization, so um, in food safety, we use SQF, uh, safe quality foods. They audit you and they help you become safer at making your product. And what's interesting is I can afford to pay that bill, okay? $4,000, they come in. But the, the, the outputs that they give me from their findings and their audit give me $100, 200 maybe even a million dollars in, in either reduced risk, product uh, quality improvements, whatever. So if we could take that governing body, Keith, and, and turn it into an audit system where mm-hmm. let's say uh, it's Mahina Corals and we're making version 2.0 lights and I finally got some cash flow and I'm, I'm like, yeah, I got two grand. And these people come out and say, hey, um, you know, this power source, you might want to look at a different one because, you know, in our experience, this isn't as good. Um, you have some sharp edges which could cut some consumers and, you know, A, B and C, whatever it is that's how you can get there so so where i think the the proposition is 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 the leaders in the industry instead of talking you know in their separate channels how can we get a a a consortium is that the right word consortium of scientists engineers uh uh, industry experts expert reefers we need to get them in the discussion um, you know, and, and, and like, talk, I don't mean talking heads in a bad way. Cause I guess I'm a talking head in, in Instagram. You're a talking head. You have a ton of connections. You have a ton of information. How do we sit and instead of all talking about it, how do we start making the framework and invite all the big companies in, invite the BRSs in and say, Hey man, help us out with this. And then how can we all wrap our hands around this and propose something that's going to add value to the manufacturer and add value. To the end consumer. And if you do that, you are going to have a self sustaining system that's going, to, that's going to rock it out. And, in fact, you're going to go from, oh, my God, uh, uh, to wanting, please come into my facility. I want to make this better. And, and now we're making a better product, and it's actually a badge of honor. Like, I'm certified by Reef Bum Academy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like, you know, so, a grading system for restaurants, right? You want to have that A-plus hanging in your window, not the, not the D. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Not the D. So, the uh, D.
0: great, bitter, reef, Paul, man. Thank you so much, dude, for that super chat. Paul also wow. the moderator. Another great guest, Keith. Thanks for pro- providing us all a place to congregate weekly. Much appreciative. Uh, thanks for all the insight, Luca. All right, dude, wow. Luca. So, man, uh, let's uh, let's wrap it up. Any uh, any final thoughts before we, uh, we sign off tonight? You want to uh, plug anything besides the uh, the lights, the Instagram?
1: I want to I want to plug you. <laughs> um <laughs> I, I, I keep encouraging. I, I find your conversations extremely refreshing. I think there's too much of the same old, same old on, on the mainstream YouTube stuff. I love how you're sponsored, but you're talking about all these dynamic things. Um, so I've, I, I, I uh, appreciate your courage. I appreciate your, uh, your ability to interview people and I just want you to keep doing what you're doing and, I think there's a lot more people doing these types of things, and I think this is the path forward. And I just applaud you. Thank you for having me on. And um, I'm going to keep doing weird shit in my house, and I'll keep you guys posted on Instagram. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, cool, Luca. Well, listen, man, I really enjoyed the conversation tonight. So, again, thanks for uh, for taking the time. So that's going to do it, folks, for this live stream. I want to thank uh, Luca for being a guest on today's uh, stream and also want to thank again Folk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine for supporting yep. this uh, stream and thanks to all you folks out there that had tuned in and uh, contributed via super chat. So uh, also want to remind everybody that the all episodes of Wrapping with Reef Bum can be found as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher as well as Amazon. I want to thank Paul. Big thank you to Paul. Great Beard of Reef for moderating uh, tonight. My next Wrappin' with Reef Bum live stream will be next Thursday, July 14th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Dong Zhou from Acro Garden. Dong is a coral farmer in the Boston, uh, Massachusetts area, and he has just some amazing, oh. amazing stuff. i visited his place a few times. He's been uh, propagating corals for years, so that should be another great show. And if you want to check out the full upcoming schedule, of guests unwrapping with the refund, visit refund.com under the YouTube section. So until next time, be safe and be well and later.